Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to the PodCuddle podcast. We are coming to you just before KubeCon, just after the Thanksgiving break, and uh, it's good to be back. Tyler, uh, how was Thanksgiving break for you? It was good. It was good. I got took a little time off that week, uh, right before you know a little, a couple weeks in a row of uh, of stuff coming up here. Yeah. So I didn't burn the house down. Fried a turkey. Didn't burn the house down. So I consider that one a success. So, yeah, we've um, we had we had as people are listening to this, we are recording it uh, just after AWS reInvent, just before KubeCon. So you're going to kind of get a little of both of those uh, both of those shows in this one, and uh, we'll try and keep this relevant. So if you end up listening to this in two weeks or three weeks or something in your podcatcher, uh, the information will still be interesting to you. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a lot that, a uh, lot that went on in, uh, in, in reinvent in the in container world. And, and also obviously uh KubeCon's, uh, kind of a big one for us. Right. Right. So you let's, why don't we start with, with uh, reinvent? You were out there. I was out there. I was out there for a little bit of shorter time uh, than you were, but Give me your general sense just of reInvent uh, as a whole, and then let's dig into some of the container news that came out of there. Yeah, as a whole, I'm I still question the long term viability of the giant vendor trade show kind of deal, uh, especially once you get to the scale. I think I think they said the official number was something like forty four thousand attendees um, spread across four locations all over Vegas. You know, uh, the two main ones, you know, basically a half hour walk apart. I had some shuttles and stuff, but it like logistically it was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, even when, you know, in the VM world days or EMC world days were 20,000 people and they were all at least co-located in the Venetian seemed like, well, this, this seems excessive. Uh, but this is, this was beyond that. Right. Right. Well, and there wasn't, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I have all sorts of sympathy for people that have to put on giant events because logistically it is, it is really challenging, but yeah, it does reach a point where, you know, when you watch people standing in really long lines and then, you know, they don't know if they're going to get in the, in the session, they're not going to get in the session. And then they, you know, if they want to go to something else, like you said, they got to get in a bus or walk for half an hour. And then even when you get to the hotel and then it's another 15 minutes to get past everything. And it does make you sort of wonder, cause you know, the assumption is AWS isn't going to get any smaller and more people will, you know, potentially be moving around that ecosystem. Um, how do you, how do you deal with this? Do you do what IBM used to do, which is like break it up into, you know, kind of domain specific events or, you know, do you only have certain things happen at certain hotels or whatever? But it, yeah, it's, they're going to have to reinvent what reinvent is because it, it, <laughs> logistically it was just, it, there was a lot of frustration there uh, from a lot of people. Yeah. I, I think the thing is um, what, what would be interesting to me for, for any of these, um, you know, companies that put on big events like this to, to kind of start from scratch. Cause I think we always start from sort of what we knew and, and this is the same trade show model that, you know, been used in tech for 30 years, right? Uh, this type of setup. So I think it's, you know, yes, you can update it and, and do different things and, and split it out into different events, like you said, like IBM used to do. But, you know, most of that, most of this kind of style was created before, you know, the internet was a big deal and streaming and, and things like that. And, and I'd be interested to see, you know, if you said, hey, let's start completely from scratch. You know, what's the best experience? What are people looking for? You know, what do they like about it? You know, what if they, for example, live streamed all the sessions? Right. Um, and so you could still attend and you would, you know, could have different areas. We can go watch sessions because people definitely want to, you know, you know, see, see things in person, hallway track, meet people. But at the same time, like you, some of the times you just want the content and you know, like you said, you're in a thousand person line outside a room. Cause it's, you know, it's a hot, uh, topic for AWS or something like that. And then they could even offer, 
think I use it as a streaming only pass for people that don't, you know, don't want to deal with the crowds at all. So I, I think I'd be interested to see someone kind of s- start with a clean, you know, clean sheet of paper with conference designs and see a different way of doing this. That would be better. Yep. Yep. And, you know, maybe that's one of the, the benefits that comes out of out of this thing. You know, AWS has plenty of resources, both technical and, and financial and so forth. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's there's definitely, I think, an audience for people that that say, look, you know, my company, my company can't afford to send me out there because it's not cheap. I mean, by the time airfare and 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 food and all that stuff, um, some folks, you know, love the the inter networking stuff that goes on in the hallways, but others are just like, look, I'm new to the community. How do I learn? And so, um, yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of opportunities there for them to to clean slate it and figure out what to do because it it can't continue the way that it it is right now. And and you're right, I don't think this is just an AWS thing. It's any vendor that gets beyond, you know, 10, 15,000 people or 20,000 people coming to your thing, uh, the experience for those people starts to degrade pretty quickly. So yeah, one one last note on that. I was, uh, you know, went to the the uh, replay, the 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 official conference party. Yeah, that from speaking of logistics, that's pretty impressive to put on a, uh, you know, every every major vendor conference has some sort of you know party, you know, official party or whatever. Uh, but just the you know when you're doing it for forty four thousand people, the fact that they made it not terrible was was pretty impressive and uh someone made the comment because you went through uh, if you've ever been to the sands uh expo center at the venetian you went through hall a was basically where the lines were in security to go through and it went outside and over the road to the basically the parking lot behind the link they put up three giant tents and that's where all the stuff was so uh yeah someone said like you know you know your event's big when the space where everyone's waiting in line to do security and stuff is where, you know, like VMworld, AMC World normally has their party. Right, right. So it was, uh, it was the fact that they, you know, were able to pull it off at, at that scale was was impressive. Right, right. Um, well, listen, let's uh, let's dig into at least from a Kubernetes and containers perspective, because you know the other thing about reInvent is there are just a million announcements that come out. Obviously, AWS has has gotten really big in terms of their portfolio, but let's kind of focus on containers and Kubernetes. Um, what were what were some of the big announcements that came out uh, that are going to impact you know the community of listeners that, that listens to this show? Um, there were there were really two big container announcements, uh, and the first one was uh, the the Amazon's Kubernetes service. Uh, the uh, they you know they previously have ECS, the Elastic Container Service. Uh, now they have the uh, Elastic Kubernetes service, uh, which is you know basically you know Kubernetes is a service provided by AWS. Uh, and and this is something been kind of anticipated for a while. As you, know, you look at we uh, even internally at Red Hat, we kind of had a chart of who uses what container uh, orchestrators, and the, the the list under under Kubernetes just kept growing, and they were the only notable name that wasn't under there. So it, you know it was just a matter of time. Right, right. Yeah, we knew it was coming um, as soon as they uh, as soon as AWS became a, a top level supporter of the CNCF or or a member of the CNCF. So yeah, it was a matter of time. Um, I think the basics, and we'll kind of go through what they are. Um, like you said, it's a managed service. It's essentially a uh, you get a, a private set of Kubernetes masters, um, an etcd. So it's it's sort of like a like a private environment or private cloud, whatever um, that AWS manages that part of it, and then you still manage the nodes, though, right? So they basically manage you know the upgrades, the the masters, uh, etcd, DNS, those core services that you need for Kubernetes, and then you're sort of bringing your nodes. So you have some options in terms of say. Uh, the OS and the container and on the nodes, um, 
the size of the nodes, uh, how many you want to have, and so forth. And ultimately, um, the, you know, the idea is that's going to bring together uh, the sort of this managed, uh, or at least somewhat managed Kubernetes cluster, correct? Yep, yep. They said, you know, at the initial launch, the, the worker nodes would be customer managed, uh, and they manage the masters. Uh, but over time, they would offer eventually support for them managing the, the worker nodes as well. Right. Yeah, and the other thing I, I know they've they talked about, and I don't know that this is because you got to stay longer than I did. I had to leave a little bit early. Um, <clears throat> there's some talk about the worker nodes don't necessarily have to reside in AWS. So you know they began to to lay out this vision that uh, the worker nodes could actually live in somebody's data center or in a you know separate colo, and then you would they would help you sort of attach uh, VPCs to those networking instances. So in theory. It's sort of the beginning of what could be kind of a hybrid type of environment between uh, AWS resources that they manage and and things that you know might live in a, a facility the customer has to be more uh, concerned about. Yeah, th- there was some chatter about that. It wasn't in any like the real official kind of AWS presentations on it. So I think it's one of those things that you know they didn't feel it was baked enough yet to talk about too much. Okay. Uh, but there was but heard some chatter about that uh, while at the uh, while at the event. The two things from a, a technology perspective that I thought were kind of interesting approaches and 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 kind of I think relevant to to our listeners. Uh, one is so obviously AWS has their own networking, you know, the whole VPC model and everything like that. Uh, so, and, and, you know, our listeners know, C, you know, we have the, the CNI, Kubernetes, you know, the, the container networking interface to basically how do I talk to networks. So AWS built a CNI plugin for their networking uh, and they're open sourcing it and uh, putting it out there. So they're going to use it for their service. But if you're just, you know, a, a, a some random AWS customer running your own, you know, Kube flavor, uh, you can use that CNI plugin to uh, integrate with directly with the AWS networking. I thought that was I thought that was interesting from a from a uh, open source perspective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because you know, networking at the end of the day always comes back to being sort of complicated. Um, you know, I know we see with with the CNI stuff and even what we deal with from an OpenShift perspective, everybody has a a perspective on how to do networking, and and if you can do it, you know, native or more native to what your your environment is, that's going to be be beneficial because uh, you know even if you talk to people that that are trying to do networking products around AWS it's still a different environment it's different in terms of how it gets IP addresses uh, you know doesn't allow multicast and all these other sort of things that you just have to be aware of how they do networking so it's good they're going to have a native plugin what was the other one the the other one was uh, how they plan on scaling the masters uh, so. Um, you know, I've just like any distributed system or, or compute, you know, the, the more stuff you're managing, the more resources the masters need to do that. Uh, so the way they're actually handling that is uh, by uh, swapping the nodes in place. So they're using obviously this is all EC2 instances. So they have a, a default flavor they start with. Uh, then once you start attaching more and more uh, worker nodes, they actually will replace, you know, do like a rolling replacement of the master nodes with larger master nodes. So because the 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 nature of of Kube and and the masters being you know HA, um, they just swap a node out, wait for it to you know sync back up, swap the next node out, and and that's actually how they're scaling the uh, scaling the clusters. Okay, okay, so um, okay, that'll be interesting. I, you know, again, it's it's interesting what comes out on paper, and then people will have to kind of go play with it and. Uh, in reality and, and see what that means in terms of, of operations. But uh, yeah, I think the more and more they're willing to share about how the operations works. Um, and I think that was one of the things that people 
didn't always understand with with the ECS product was well, what's really going on, especially as you know, Kube was becoming more transparent about how it worked. Um, I think that's good that they're they're sharing that. Yeah, the, the, uh, speaking of ECS, that was another thing that was noted there is this isn't going to replace ECS. So they sort of in, in, in AWS's mind, they have two different use cases. Uh, ECS, is, they have in their mind is more of this sort of cloud native uh, approach for net new development, you know, maybe the startup type space where this seems to be more focused on uh, more enterprise use cases that are looking for, uh, the, you know, robust uh, HA Kubernetes for their for their production stuff. Yeah, it, it is interesting to me um, that sort of the, the the people that have kind of come to Kubernetes recently, um, and we've heard this from a couple of different vendors. It's it's interesting that they're kind of positioning Kube now as this thing. Well, that's for stateful applications and enterprise applications. Um, whereas you know in the past it was always well you know you didn't use Kube for those sort of things. You always use something else for for stateless applications, more of a PaaS like thing. And so it's it's interesting that you know we're seeing people kind of do this the split brained or, or two way, you know, two way architecture thing. Whereas, you know, I, I think if you talk to the, the cube designers and so forth, um, their intention has always been that, you know, cube could be used for uh, stateless, stateful, lots of different applications and so forth. So it'll be sort of interesting to see how the market uh, adopts these things. Do they run sort of everything in, in cube or do they, they kind of split it up uh, in other platforms? Yeah. What, one of the things I think that's, that's really led to, AWS's success sort of culturally, um, which I appreciate, which is, is exactly on this topic is, uh, and it goes back to uh, uh, Werner Vogels during his, his keynote start. He said, he got up there and said, Hey, five years ago, I told you, you know, we wouldn't be opinionated on how you do things. We'll not dictate to you, you know, how to do things. And they said, you know, he basically said, we're, we're staying the same way today. Um, and I think that was something, especially even in the early days with, with EC2 and, and cloud, um, you know, people, oh, this is only for stateless stuff. You have to design your apps this way. And, and Amazon's approach seemed to be more, well, here's the guardrails. You know, yes, these instances may disappear. So whatever that means to you, just we're, we're warning you kind of thing. And then you do what you want. And it's, I think it's allowed people to kind of evolve their use cases where, you know, your idea of how to use something when you design it, you know, once it hits the actual users, you know, sometimes they use it differently. We heard the same thing with containers, yep. right? This is only for totally stateless cloud native stuff. And a lot of the big use cases now are stateful and, and, and they work great. So, you know, trying to kind of beat people down from, you know, using stuff, quote, the wrong way, um, you know, which we saw in some of the other communities, I think hurt them. Whereas AWS just said, hey, we, we told you the parameters. So if this, you know, if, if you blow, if you shoot yourself in the foot, you, you did it yourself. So don't blame us. Right. Yeah, and I, and I think AWS has always, for the most part, kind of uh, stuck to the philosophy of, like, we provide tools, and what you guys do with those tools uh, is is entirely up to you. Um, you know, the original the original AWS was was sort of like that 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 small like eight piece ratchet set that you might have in your car if you needed some some tools, and now you know it's a it's the gigantic sort of refrigerator sized craftsman set of tools that you can get and. Uh, you're going to have some overlap. You're going to have lots of options, and um, you know, I think that's their philosophy, and, and they tend to, um, you know, just sort of continue to say, okay, you need a a slightly different variation on something. Okay, we'll just build that as a new service, and if you want to use that new service, just use that as yet another tool. So, but yeah, it's, I think we're we are definitely seeing that in in terms of how it'll affect that. Now, let's talk about the other uh, big announcement that came out of um, this one, which was was just called Fargate, and it was kind of a 
technology preview. So the the managed EKS is is going to be available now, but this new thing called Fargate um, is something that's kind of in tech preview. What's what's the the gist on on that uh, that project or that service? So so like all good um, you know interesting new things, it has a tech component and a business component, right? So so as as techies, you know, I relate to Lambda. As techies, love Lambda from the standpoint of like, oh look, it's it's serverless. I can scale, you know, I can, you know, spin up a, a ton of them and more. Th- and then there's the whole business impact of like, I only pay when those, when they fire off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Fargate's kind of the same deal. It's a consumption based uh, model for containers. So basically the nodes from a management perspective, the nodes go away. You just say, run these containers and you pay for the CPU and memory that your containers ch- use up. So if you're familiar with, um, uh, Azure's ACI uh, offering. It's similar uh, from that perspective. Uh, the technical details are actually still a little fuzzy. Uh, under, they weren't totally clear about how it works under the cover. So we saw some interesting uh, Twitter back and forth from from different people in the container space kind of trying to peel back exactly how it works. But from an, a customer experience level, you just say, run these containers. You don't, the nodes, the concept of the, the node, the worker node just go away. Right. Yeah, and, and there was a there was a, a theme that was going on this week, um, and not just in the container space, but but like in the database space and other things, where it's definitely clear that uh, AWS has heard from some section of their customers, especially the ones around Lambda, who have said, you know, that there's there's like you said, there's sort of two pieces of it. There's the part that says. Um, I'm going to write applications differently, right? So in this case of, of Lambda, they go, oh, we're going to start just writing functions and, and we're going to think about de- really decomposing our applications. But then there's a, another subset of that, which is just like, I like the idea that I don't ever have to think about the underlying infrastructure, whether that's, you know, deploying, you know, figuring out the number of nodes, figuring out scaling, uh, figuring out IO or, or whatever it is. And so I think they've begun to start extending that concept of, well, if you don't want to have to think about the underlying nodes, then then don't think about it. And we'll provide a service that sort of does that for you. So yeah, Fargate is at the beginning of them sort of saying that in the container space. Um, we saw that in the database space, they have uh, sort of what they call Aurora serverless. So their, their database is a service you now no longer have to think about IO and redundancy and stuff. And, and so I think <clears throat> they're definitely hearing from at least a subset of the of the developer community or what they call the builder community that's saying, cool, like, don't, I don't want to think about that stuff. You guys deal with it. Like literally just completely deal with it. Um, and this is the beginning of that in the container space. Yeah, I think, uh, oh, and one note, it's, um, there's some, like you mentioned, it's tech preview there. You can use it on, it works with ECS today. Um, they did say eventually it'll support uh, EKS for the Kubernetes piece too, which um, on that note, actually uh, uh, Joe Beta from, from uh, Heptio, uh, talked a little bit about this because uh, Heptio has been working with them on some of these pieces. Like, for example, their IAM integrate. So their, if you're not familiar, AWS has its own sort of, you know, authentication uh, right. authorization model. Well, uh, Heptio worked with them to build that, to plug it into Kube. So that way, if you're running on EKS, when you do, you know, kubectl commands, whatever, you're actually logging in with your Amazon credentials. Uh, so they help with that. And, and what he said about Fargate and EKS, I thought was interesting, is obviously – Kubernetes is not built to handle that model, so Amazon's going to have to contribute that stuff upstream to be able to enable something like Fargate and on uh, on Kubernetes. So it should be uh, interesting to see see how that goes. Yep. 
Yeah, there's, there's definitely going to be some interesting stuff around how this fits in the community because uh, on one hand, folks like Adrian Cockcroft, who are now running their, their open store stuff, said, hey, uh, you know, as it's built, we'll contribute it back into the community. And then he had given a talk the day before saying, well, you know, there's always going to be times when, uh, you know, what Amazon does won't be open source because it, it just needs to run on lots of nodes and and therefore you couldn't just run it on your laptop, so, so maybe it won't make sense. So we'll see. Um, but you're, it's definitely something that I think – the Kube community is will be interested in um, again trying to take friction out of the system for people is always important, um, but the timing of that we don't have any any sense of when that that may happen. So, um, but yeah, it was definitely I think um, there was there was definitely a sense of okay, cool, uh, you know, AWS is is now part of the Kubernetes kind of ecosystem in terms of something official, right? We've already seen a lot of uh, survey data that says um, there are plenty of people that run their Kube environments on EC2 instances, you know, in AWS. And we've seen that from an OpenShift perspective and, and lots of different people have seen, you know, their software run on, on, uh, on AWS. It's good to see them, again, sort of emerge this as a, as a service and people can now sort of choose, okay, do I want to manage it? Do I not want to manage it? And, and, you know, what are the ramifications of, of that from an ops perspective, from a developer's perspective? Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think you know, and, and to, to some degree, I, I think people are overly harsh on Amazon when it comes to so, sort of the open source stuff. Where, hey, if you're not releasing it, you know, then you know, but they've always they've been a long time a huge consumer of open source, and right. now they're starting to release some of it out there. But I do think some of it's overblown because you see some of the other projects that say Netflix or something releases, and how many. You know, other companies have that similar sort of use cases that need it is uh, is a lot smaller. Right. Um, you know, so then you know, maintaining and maintaining it or running or, or pushing an open source project is is hard. Uh, so it so it takes you know it takes some effort. Yeah. No, and I think that was Adrian's bigger point is, look, we could we could release code all day long if nobody else is going to maintain it. Is it does it really matter? Um, so and people like you said had different opinions on that. Well, listen, um, why don't we shift gears from from reInvent to to KubeCon since uh, some folks will be listening to this uh, when 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 KubeCon's coming along. Um, what so. KubeCon, totally different event, uh, kind of you know community centric, not vendor centric. Um, obviously, we'll see some vendor announcements that'll come out. Uh, you know, I've seen a little bit of the previews, but we won't we won't give anybody's away. Um, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to? Whether they're like trends or kind of momentum um, that you're kind of looking forward to to seeing this week, or you know, you expect to see this week. So I I think the 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 Kube uh, model is from a open source project perspective, and and we've talked about this in the past. I think kind of learn from others' mistakes and things like that. I think it's the right model from the sort of the keeping you know the core of Kubernetes. Here's what it does, and then allowing the the ecosystem to sort of thrive around it. So I don't think it's yeah. You know, there's not it's because it's this it's a community thing. It's not a you know, corporate. There's no secret big product launch or anything like that coming from the CNCF. It's you know here the next versions of Kube are just kind of uh, chugging along. Yep. Um, and because of that, I'm interested to see what more more in the you know more in that ecosystem around it. What other people are bringing to Kube, adding on to it uh, to make it you know more you know as it grows. I mean, there's even some early things we've seen recently with things like Kubevert and stuff like that to use. You know, Kubernetes to schedule VMs also, you know, for some of the use cases where containers can't work. Um, so I, I think all that type of stuff around Kube is is going to be what's interesting to me. Yeah, I think we're I think we're going to hear a couple of trends or I think we're going to hear a couple of um, phrases over and over again. I think we're going to hear 
you know, people are going to be very excited that that kind of Cube is everywhere now. It's it's you know, lots of vendors are supporting it, lots of cloud providers are supporting it. The project keeps growing, um, so you're going to have some subset of people that are going to say, well, uh, you know, oh, that automatically means that that Cube's a commodity, which you know is is sort of debatable. It's still you know, somewhat complicated to pull together. It's, you know, there's just not enough people that really know how to run it. So, um, you know, it's definitely not uh, Ethernet at this point. It's definitely not Wi-Fi at this point. Um, so there's, you know, definitely lots of room for improving it. Um, I think we're going to start to see the beginning of a lot of differentiation around what the user experience is going to be. And we've, we've already seen that to a certain extent, but, um, you know, we're going to, I think we're going to see more and more about, you know, how should your developers consume Cube? Is that, you know, is that a, you know, UI and a CLI thing is that, you know, frameworks for applications that get adopted to cube and so forth. So that'll be sort of an interesting thing to to track and see who's beginning to go down paths. Are they things that they do specific to their vendor implementation? Are they trying to push it as a, you know, cube, you know, user experience SIG or something like that? I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. I, and I, I love it. The, you know, the user experience focused, um, you know, in, in, in the, you know, when I was part of the open stack community, one of the number one complaints of, uh, operators and, and users of, of open stack was they don't seem to really care what we want. They're building whatever they want. Um, which, which that was more in the early days, it, it got better. And now they even have a whole sort of, you know, user piece to the governance. But I think, I think focusing on the people that are actually using it on a day to day basis and what they need and what they want, what they're asking for. And it seems, you know, from the get go. Um, and I think that helped by having, you know, like Google and Red Hat and people's experience running it to say like, Hey, we, well, you know, our ops teams found this, we should probably, probably add this in or change this. Uh, but I think that's, that's the key to anything. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's why Apple's, Apple's who Apple is, right. They focus on the, the end user experience. And I think, um, you have to keep that in a, in a central thought process, whether it's a open source community or, or uh, you know, or a product. Uh, you know, the idea of just like, well, it's open source, so if you don't like it, you fix it. Uh, kind of mindset doesn't doesn't work real well all the time. Right, right. Well, and and, and user experience is a is a tough thing to do from a community perspective because because you get different opinions on what it should be and and so forth. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch how much stays open and flexible and and how much people you know try and get creative about it. The the other one I think um, that we'll probably see ramp up, and it's been kind of in the background is, you know, especially with so much talk about serverless and Lambda, say, coming out of reInvent, um, you know, we've seen Microsoft talk a lot about it, um, you know, in terms of, hey, serverless is the, the next big paradigm, which, you know, it, it will be for, for some certain amounts of things. Um, you know, the, the Cube community hasn't really defined where they want to see serverless go or functions go, right? There's There's been different projects, things like Kubeless and Fission and OpenFAS and, and obviously OpenWhisk is um, kind of getting adopted to go on, on Kubernetes. And it'll be interesting to see if the kind of steering committees put out some sort of statements. You know, do they just want to see lots of different projects? Would they like to see them, you know, do it as uh, custom resource definitions? Do you just run it on top however you want to? Like, it would be nice to see some sort of guidance there so that you know, at least people can feel like, okay, there's some commonality that's coming uh, to what's what should be sort of native kube services, if you will. Yeah, I, what's crazy to me about about serverless, and, and it's not just with serverless, but you get these people have these kind of frame of references for things, uh, and then they, they think they're they're wildly different, or there's some sort of like magic under the covers. I mean, if you go back to what what is 
Amazon really doing with Lambda? Uh, you're putting some code, and when when they fire it off, you know, when when a request comes in and, and it fires off a Lambda, what is it doing? It's it's taking that code with uh, you know the the runtime it needs and firing up a container and running it and taking the output. I mean, that's that's really all it does. Right. And obviously, and ca- capturing the amount of the runtime for consumption and things like that. So. Um, you know, the, and, and I mean, even go back to, you know, PAS models, what are PAS models? Give it the code, puts the runtime stuff around it and then builds a container. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think sometimes we, oh, well, how are we going to do serverless and how's this really plug in? And it's like, well, they're just short running containers. That's, you know, that's, that's a doable thing. Um, and I think also it gets back to the, the, you can't forget the business side. So, I mean, even as, you know, Amazon's out there in clouds and people, well, I'm going to build a private cloud. It's like, okay, well, yeah, what you know, there's the technical angle of like, hey, people can consume stuff via an API really quick. But then there's a the business angle of like, we're built for what we use. So those, you know, depending which is the important piece. So if you're using Lambda because it's the build for what you use, you know, building it in your own data center probably doesn't get you that. Uh, but if you're using it because, hey, it's infinitely scalable and and yada yada yada, it's like, okay, well then then maybe we need some serverless in here too. Right. Well, and I, and I think, you know, the two things that I hear from companies in the kind of the serverless discussion, if you will, um, you know, the, the ones that, that want to talk about things like, like Kube or anything is they, they tend to want to say, okay, um, you know, are there going to be options for me? Because they're not really sure what the future is going to hold. Um, you know, do you want to only run it in one location? Do you want to only be tied to one technology? So they're, they're looking for some options and they want to sort of know, you know, are those options kind of standardizing, if you will, so that they're not spending a lot of cycles having to do evaluations. Um, but I think there are some implementation details that that do sort of need to get worked out. So, I mean, your example of saying, hey, throw some code at something, it, it executes a container, you know, takes the runtime, puts it in a container, runs it. Like that's at a really basic level is true, but there are plenty of sort of you know, nuances of that use case that say, hey, you know, Lambda spins up, for example, in this specific amount of time, if you just take a generic container, Linux container, today it wouldn't just spin up like that. So how do you do, for example, an implementation that says, hey, how do I keep some containers just sort of warm and ready to go as opposed to spinning them up net new? And, you know, just you start to get into some implementation details that maybe are just nothing more than a, a ske- you know, controller scheduling um you know, implementation and they don't have to be their own side project and whatever. But I, I, I think people would like to, to have a sense of that. I don't think it does the community any good to have, you know, 18 different implementations, all of which are really small and fragmented and so forth. Like it would be, you know, and, and again, some of those start because they're vendor things and, and the vendors are trying to differentiate themselves. But um, I think people want to know where that's, where that's going uh, both from a community perspective, but also from a customer perspective, just, so they can again focus on the business part of writing the applications. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's the key where it comes down to is you know focusing on you know what is what value does this bring and then and then figuring out the implementation details are are a you know exciting kind of computer science problem. Yep. Um, but you you kind of you need both of them. Yeah. Well, so the last one and I'll throw out and then we'll, we'll sort of wrap this one up. Um, you know, the last one I think it's going to be sort of interesting and, and this gets into what you mentioned earlier, like you know what what will the Kubernetes community learn from from other communities is, you know, as Kube implementations start to get put into production, more and more of them, obviously, we're seeing in production every day, you know, there then become a lot of different things that people need to do to make those work in production. So everything from, you know, basic tooling to, to make sure that your clusters are running right uh, back, you know, being able to back up both 
applications, if that makes sense, and there's some debate if that actually makes sense, to backing up the environment so that if it if it blows up or you know recreating this a DR thing and so forth, it'll be interesting to see if the, you know the cube community says, hey, we need to uh, spin up formal you know kind of definitions of how to do those things, which is what we've seen in some other projects, or if people just say, no, 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 there's enough there in the APIs that we provide for you to start going and, you know, building those tools around them and, and do them however you want to. So I, I'm, I'm, I look at this as more of a, as we move into more into production, there's certain kinds of things that, you know, come into production versus POCs. How does the community deal with that? Do they try and expand themselves? Do they say, hey, the primitives are there, you need, there's enough to do, or is there some conversation in between? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think I think there it, it's so far. If we look at some of the other things that's happened in Kube, where it's hey, we want you to use. We don't want to make this part of Kube. Like here, let's have a snapshot feature to snapshot your etcd. To, like Kube clearly says that doesn't belong here. Right. But what they have says like when you're trying to build that thing, if there's a missing piece in the API that we can kind of extend that to you, um, that information or you know a little bit that that makes sense, then then let's do that. I mean, even if you look at adding the stuff like CNI and and things like that, where it's like, well, here we wanna we wanna make this a very pluggable way. So for some of the things, uh, I could see them uh, doing that. You even see that now with with container images and image signing and and integrating that so that way hey well hey we we want to do signed images and with a registry it's like well how do we pass that information through kube it's like okay well that's that's something we we may want to you know add to the to the configuration and 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 things like that so i think that's we'll see say like for example backups like here here's you need a little bit more information from etcd that's not in the api well let's let's expand that that API in the next version and add those things so you can see them to enable you to build your thing. But we don't want that thing to be part of Coop. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where it's going to be interesting to watch the distinction between um, the, the, the Kubernetes specific uh, community and, and sort of what the CNCF is trying to do. Because like you said, let's take something like, you know, registries and signing and scanning and so forth. Uh, you know, the, the CNCF, I think would like to have, you know, say take a project like, uh, like notary and, uh, and some other things like, they would like to at least give some guidance to people like, hey, here's some projects that are in that space, um, but they're not forcing them on top of Kube. Like Kube doesn't necessarily say, hey, how you do the registry? It just goes, you're probably going to want a thing somewhere that is a registry and and we'll deal with those things. So um, it'll be interesting to sort of see how those interplay with each other. Um, I think right now, like you said, I think they the community does a pretty good job of you know, where to add a little bit to, to make sure that it can expand without making it too big and gnarly and um, you know, I, I think the reality is when you still have the goal of trying to get out code every three months, it's it's going to be very hard to make the thing too big and monolithic, um, and still stick to those uh, stick to those plans and so forth. So definitely something to to keep an eye on for people, especially as they you know move into production and they want to think about, hey, I just want this to run as opposed to it's cool technology and I want to learn about it. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh... I think that's the uh, you know so are the devils in the details as people start oh well, I spun up Kube and cool it's like ooh and you know and someone says well well what happens if this happens or how do we do this like ooh we that's a good point yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah we should figure that out yeah well listen I'm gonna wrap it up with that uh, we will both be at KubeCon so if anybody uh, wants to come hang out um, you know definitely you know hit us up on Twitter um, and we'll you know we'd love to meet up with some people you know have a beer chat um, we're gonna try and uh, record some shows while we're there so we may end up doing two or three or something to depending on uh, you know, timing and schedules and where we can find a quiet location. I know we've got a couple that we're trying to schedule 
with different people. Um, if you hear this on Monday morning or something and you're like, hey, guys, while you're there, you know, do a show on this, uh, just hit us up on Twitter. Uh, we will uh, definitely try and uh, go find some people if, if logistically it's possible. And uh, we'll definitely try and get some good insight from from KubeCon. And then we'll, we'll probably do some wrap-up shows after that as well. So, Tyler, with that, uh, we're going to wrap it up for the week. And we'll look forward to seeing you in Austin next week. 